when we looked at that parable last week, what we had to do was, uh, in studying the, the, you know, the persistent widow, the unjust judge, we had to go back and look at the, at the material before it because it related. And when Jesus is teaching through parables, he's giving us a story it's set in human terms, but it has a divine meaning and divine application. And that's going to be true of every one of the parables. And like last week's parable, the one that we're going to see today in Matthew chapter 25, is related back to the material before it. So if you don't study the material before, then you, you miss all the ways that we ought to understand and apply the parable that is before us. So the parable is one that you are quite familiar with. And we find it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And so Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take any oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. Since the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. But... But the foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. The sensible ones, the wise ones, said, No, there won't be enough for us and you. Go instead to those who sell and buy oil for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, The rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. But he replied, I assure you, I do not know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Now, if you look back in chapter 24, and we're going to go there before we try to break this down some. Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man. And there are so many things to remember. I'm afraid that the the preparation can take uh, can take up, you know, all of the energy necessary to understand this parable. But if you go back and you look in that chapter, Jesus is talking about the Son of Man. It is very similar to what we looked at last week in in Luke's Gospel, and he mentions in that chapter that the days of Noah. The coming of the Son of Man will be like that. People will be buying and selling and marrying and giving in marriage and and the routine affairs of life. And that's mentioned again in Matthew chapter 24. But he also uses that same phrase where it will be like the flash of lightning. Okay? And we're going to understand the reasons for this uh, before we're done. And as we saw last week, that is... Something that you don't have to tell anybody happened. In last week's passage, it was compared to a candle or a flash of lightning. Okay, A candle is a, is a light, but you probably have to go tell somebody there's a light over there. But this, the coming of the Son of Man is like the flash of lightning. It goes across the entire sky, 
And you don't have to tell anybody that it happened. Everybody knows. Right? So those two settings of the coming of man are mentioned in chapter 24 in different terms. Jesus says, he mentions the prophecies of Daniel. Now we looked at the prophecies of Daniel at great length when we were studying Revelation. And I'm going to remind you of some of those things this morning. And then Jesus said in, in chapter 24 that the coming of the, man, of the Son of Man would be like a thief in the night. That no man knows the day or the hour. Okay? So how is it that we can go back to the prophecies of Daniel, which we're going to, I'm going to remind you again, are very, very specific. And a thief in the night. How do we... How do we bring those two things, which are plainly stated in Matthew chapter 24, how do you bring those two things together? And once you do that, how does that apply to chapter 25? Because it opens up with the words, at that time, or then, depends on your translation. But the plain implication is that this parable is linked to the material that precedes it. Okay? And once again, it is quite unfortunate that we have the chapter breaks that we have in our Bibles. Because, you know, the original manuscripts didn't come with chapter breaks. When it says chapter 25, we put that in there. And because our minds work the way they do, we think, oh, a new thing, new chapter. Well, it's a continuation of the previous discussion, which is why we have to go back and look at it. Okay? So, we're dealing with the Jewish wedding. I've talked to you about Jewish weddings before. There was a betrothal. There was a marriage that was arranged. Okay? And then it was legal. There was... They were married, but not really. Betrothed. Uh, It was more than an engagement as we would see it, you know, because we've all known that, you know, an engagement somewhere here, there, or elsewhere got undone. (laughs) Uh, these, they didn't. It, it was a legal arrangement. But, you know, not a consummated marriage. And so the groom would go to his father's house and prepare a place for himself and his bride. And we've talked about that. And then he would go to get her. And you, you have to remember these things as you're looking at a Jewish manuscript from a Jewish Messiah talking to a Jewish audience, a Jewish set of disciples. That's who he's talking to. They all understood these things. And you've got to bring them back into your mind. And so he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Well, they knew that the bridegroom was on his way. They were ready. They were going to be part of the party and all of that stuff. And in verses 36 42 and 44, very specifically in chapter 24, here's the specific references to what I was talking about earlier. Verse 36 says, But about that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. Verse 42, it says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 44 says, So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not Expect him. So, let me point you to some other scriptures, and then we'll apply what we learned from the parable of the ten virgins. You remember that Jesus was 
walking along the road. He had been resurrected. He had spent 40 days on the earth. He was walking along the road to Bethany and he got to the place. We, we know this from uh, Acts chapter 8. Excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, and he says that we are to be, the disciples are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Those are the last words recorded that Jesus spoke on the earth because at that moment he begins to be taken up from them on a cloud. And so after they see him taken up, there are in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, two men dressed in white stood beside them. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Okay? Well, put that together with the fact that Jesus is going to come at the right time, in the right way, when and where God has prescribed. But in Second Peter... Chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, here's what you see. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Catch this. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed with fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, the key question as we look at these girls waiting for the bridegroom is are we ready? Are we ready? And there's a lot of things to consider. And as Paul said elsewhere, I would not have you to be ignorant. <laughs> okay? Don't want you to be unaware of what the scripture says. But Daniel said, Jesus mentions this in chapter 24. He mentions the prophecies of Daniel. Daniel said that when you see the abomination of desolation, that it will be 1,260 days until the return of the Lord. You remember that? Please nod your head. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't remember that, you can go look it up. The point of that is this. That there, there's two images being presented here. And I, and I want you to understand what they are. They don't really change the truths that we get from the parable. But there's two images, two scenarios being presented one is, like we saw last week, the candle. The other is the flash of lightning. One is, every eye will see him. The other is, he comes like a thief in the night. How do you rectify those two things? And Jesus is going to come at the appointed time, the Father knows, but... That very specific thing, the abomination of desolation, is when the Antichrist sets up his image in the temple in Jerusalem and, and demands that everybody worship him. That's an event that is yet to happen. But when that event happens, Daniel, and confirmed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, 
1,260 days, three and a half years. That's generally believed to be the second half of the tribulation. And we know exactly how many days from then. See, we, the problem is we don't know when that's going to happen. We do know that from the day that it does happen, 1,260 days. We can, you can figure that out. But the thief in the night, how do you figure that out? Well, that's the coming of the bridegroom in keeping with the Jewish wedding. When the bridegroom went to get his bride, it was unannounced. I've told you that before. He would, in essence, go kidnap her. <laughs> okay. Word would leak out and people would be prepared to, to meet him. That is the rapture. Yes. That's how you bring these two things together. There is a coming for his bride, and then there's a coming to the world as judge and king. It's, it's two things. Yes. That's why they look different. That's why they're described in different terms. However, what do the, do the girls in the parable teach us? That's the question of the day. Well, spiritual preparation isn't automatic. Okay? We cannot put spiritual preparation on autopilot. Can we? No. We can't. We don't ever get to the place where we can say, I am everything spiritually that I need to be. Can we get there? That's exactly right. But how do we know that? We know that because it is the job, the task, the role of the Holy Spirit to conform us who are living, breathing here on this earth. And we have accepted God's gift of forgiveness for our sins. It is the task of the Holy Spirit to transform us into the very image of Christ. Has that happened yet? Therefore, because it has not happened, there's still work for me to do. Yes. Very simple. You know, I'm, I'm a simple person. I really am. I like simple stuff. I, I can get a hold of it. Okay? But there's work for me to do because the Scripture says when we see Him, we will be what? Like, like Him. But if I don't see him face to face yet, that means there's still work to be done on me. I have not arrived spiritually. And that's the point. That's you know, point number one. We don't ever arrive. And you see, all ten of the virgins made themselves available. They had been chosen to be part of the feast. They, were, they wanted to go. They were dressed in similar clothing. They were all expecting the same bridegroom. And they all fell asleep when they thought the coming was delayed. Right? All of them had a lamp. <laughs> Are we uncomfortable yet? What was the difference? The difference was oil. That was the difference. That's the only difference that Jesus gives us. Five wise had plenty of oil. The five foolish did not. 
They didn't take the extra time to go get more oil for their lamps. And it was a very costly decision. They were excluded from the feast. So when it looks like the Lord is delayed, we need to continue to be prepared, right? Sure. Now here's the thing. That second coming of Christ to rule and to reign, everybody's going to know that, but, but we get a great deal of advanced warning, or the earth is given a great deal of advanced warning that that one's coming. And from the abomination of desolation, you can count the days. That's what Scripture says. But for that first coming, the coming of the rapture, when's that going to take place? Any minute. Any minute. Are you ready? Will the Lord find us watching? Not just waiting, but actively watching, being prepared for His coming. The oil throughout Scripture is emblematic, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You go back to Zechariah, the, the olive trees filled the lamps, there was light. Uh, and many other places. But this is how we are spiritually prepared. Is the Spirit at work in me? Or have I become so consumed with the ordinary living of life, going to work, coming home, the routines, the ruts, do you know that we live in a world so full of distractions? Sure. <laughs> I don't think we can count them. How many distractions are in front of us every, not just every day, every hour? And do those distractions, have we allowed those distractions to keep us from being prepared? Are we building cooperating with the Holy Spirit to build in us that, that expectation, that awareness of the presence of God doing in us what only He can do. Building us, conforming us into the image of Christ. You know, we that, that phrase is so really kind of haunting. We looked at it last week. It's there today about as in the days of Noah. Last week it was also Included with the days of Sodom when, when the destruction came. People were just doing the routine, ordinary, everyday things. Nobody had a thought about what might be coming. Babies are born. <laughs> Babies need to be fed. We live in families. We pay the bills. We, we go to work. We help the neighbor. We have good days and we have bad days, right? Anybody in here just only have good days? <laughs> but here's the thing. We've got so many alternatives, so many distractions that those things can make us not even notice that the spiritual preparation isn't taking place. Nobody who was waiting on the bridegroom in the parable said, Hey! They don't have any oil. 
everybody looked so much alike. You know, they all they all carried the same Bible. They all went to the same church. They all sat in the same colored pew. They all looked alike, but they were different. Okay. It's a it's an easy thing, and this is this is a warning. This is not an indictment. Please understand, for all of us, this is a warning. This is what the scripture is meant to do. It's to warn us that we can get to a place where we're simply going through the motions. Have you ever been at that spot? Don't raise your hand. I know the answer (laughs) because we're people, okay? But maybe I should say, think back to a time when you were doing that in your marriage. I'm just going through the motions. I didn't do anything really wrong, dumb, or stupid. I'm just kind of cold and indifferent. Been there? We can get there with the Lord, can we not? Sure. We can have all the activity, but the heart is missing. And that was the problem with the church at Ephesus, you will recall. They had all the actions right, but Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That there was a passion missing in their religious activity. Sometimes we do what we do because we don't want other people to think ill of us. Maybe I'm the only one that ever did that. But that's really not different than what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said... These Pharisees give or pray so that other people will notice them and they have their reward. Right? They weren't doing it for the right reason. They were doing it either to, you know, either to be noticed and get the accolades of men, or they were doing it because they were afraid their their other self righteous preacher types might look down on them because they didn't do it. Wrong motives. Motives matter. What's the main goal? The main goal is to be ready when the Lord comes. To be ready to welcome the Lord, to greet Him. And you see, we can't, we can't just look right. There has to be that difference on the inside of us. And five of the people in the parable didn't get that right. You see, here's another thing to observe. Spiritual preparation to meet the Master is the result of intentionally, systematically doing the things that build that relationship. May I say it another way? It is intentionally cooperating with the Holy Spirit in His task in my life. If His task is to conform me into the image of Christ, and it is, then it is incumbent upon me to cooperate with him in his work. Yes or no? It means that when the Holy Spirit touches my heart in prayer and says, Hey, I realize you think you got it all together, but right here you don't. What's my job then? My job then is to A, repent, and B, to get it right. To 
cooperate with the Holy Spirit in changing that thing about me that needs to be changed. Sometimes it's something I need to add to life. Other times it's something I need to take out. Okay? It could be either one. But that's how we prepare for the delay. That is being ready. We don't just depend on being in the church house on Sunday morning and hearing what somebody else has to say and that's enough for me. You know, I call those... uh, I call those camel Christians. They think they can tank up on Sundays and get everything they need to last till next Sunday. There's a hole in your bucket. <laughs> and that does not happen. I've got to be filling that bucket every day. Fill my cup, Lord. Fill it up. Make me whole. And you see... We get ready for this thing that we perceive as a delay. We perceive this waiting for the Lord as a delay. But, you know, the delay is for the purpose of everyone being able to come to repentance. We've talked about that before. But in order to be ready, to be watchful, the oil in our lamp is is prayer. The oil in our lamp is being Alone with the Father, hearing from Him, cooperating with Him, following the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, understanding and reading the Word of God. You know, I I cannot tell you, uh, you know, how many times I've heard something over the years. I I don't hear it here, and I'm really glad. But Brother Don's heard this too. You know. Well, I, I just can't read my Bible. I don't understand it when I do. I just have to have you explain it to me. You know, that sounds like a compliment, but it's not. It, it's not. Because we as individual disciples, we are priests of God. God has called you to be His priest. Read First Peter chapter 2. For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You can rightly divide the word of truth because you're told to do that. Plus the Holy Spirit who is within you will guide you into all truth. And it doesn't mean that there's not a role for, for pastors and preachers and teachers and evangelists. There is. That's part of God's design. But you don't have to wait on them to understand the word of God. That's right. And you shouldn't. But this is how we have the oil in the lamp to keep us ready, to keep us watchful. And this is how we overcome the busyness, the distractions of life that are all around us. That's that's how we do it. It's our spiritual food to stay ready. You see, I'm not saying that you do those things. You know, I don't think you would misunderstand this, but I've got to say it out loud anyway. You know, you don't do those things in order to be saved. You do them because you are saved. That's right. Understand that. Oil in the lamps. It's the foundation of who we are. It's why we have systems here. That's what they're designed to do is to help you dive into the Word, to go deep, and to be equipped to understand, to be ready. Because we don't know when the Lord is coming. 
Now, there's another thing that we learn from this parable. Preparation for the Lord is not something that somebody else can do for you. The foolish virgin said to the wise, give us some of your oil. And the wise one said, no way, Jose. <laughs> Why? It teaches us something. If we look at it in terms of a woke, overly sympathetic world in which we live, you know, the world would take this parable to task and say, oh, those are just, you know, those five that wouldn't give, they're just mean. You know, they're extra privileged and they won't give anything to anybody. Hogwash. That's not what it's there for. It's a it's an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And the spiritual meaning is there are five people who prepared, but they prepared themselves. And there are five people who weren't prepared, and you can't depend on somebody else to prepare you. That's the point. So, you know, we have people who think that God has grandchildren. That's God has no grandchildren. I can't count myself as ready because my parents were ready. I can't count myself as ready because my Sunday school teacher is ready. I can't count myself as ready because my pastor is ready. I can't count myself as ready because my spouse is ready. I have to look in the mirror. Are you ready? And that's the only one I'm asking is that person right in front of me in the mirror. Are you ready? Because that's the only person who can answer it. Because everybody else who looked on this scene thought all those ten gals were exactly alike, but they weren't. Five were prepared, and five weren't. So the question that's kind of haunting is, am I ready? And you think, well, in a lot of all that other stuff you said at the beginning, Jesus is a long, that, that coming is a long way off. Well, that lightning flash is at least 1,261 days off. (laughs) It's at least that long. But you know what? That thief in the night could be this afternoon. And it may not be the coming of the rapture that causes me to see him. It could be, I got to the end of my allotted number of breaths. Hello? In either case, am I ready? That's the question. And I have to answer that. Nobody can prepare me for me. I have to be prepared myself. So... These things of service to others, the the things that come out of being in a passionate relationship with the Father. See, when I'm in a passionate relationship with Him, I am passionate about the things that He is passionate about. Let me give you a goofy example. Okay, I have a lot of fun at my wife's expense with this particular example. Okay, and I'm going to do it right here in front of her and all y'all. But, but I am passionately in love with her. Okay? I am not passionately in love with all things green and grown in a greenhouse. 
Now, why in the world do I get up in the middle of the night, go out to the greenhouse, which I did last night, in the freezer nose off weather, and change a propane bottle and put the burner on a, another full bottle when I could be in the nice warm house sleeping? Why do I do that? Is it because I love the plants? Not on your life. <laughs> Why do I do that? Come on. No, she didn't tell me to. There you go. Because I love the girl that loves the plants. Why do I build a greenhouse? <laughs> Y'all are laughing. Okay. But there's a serious point to that. If I am passionately in love with the Father, then I am going to passionately love the things that the Father loves. That's right. And they're visible. Whether or not I'm passionately in love with Him is, can be determined by the things I'm passionately in love with here. Am I passionately in love with His Word because it is the truth, it is the power, it is the gospel of Christ unto salvation? Am I in love with that? And those first and second commandments go together. They're hand in glove because if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the proof that I'm doing that is I'm loving my neighbor as myself because God loves my neighbor. Yes or no? Uncomfortable. Got it. But you see, this is the preparedness. This is, this is the thing that's being talked about. I am prepared. I am allowing the Spirit of God to fill me, to control me, to order my life. It's, it's not like, well, hey, you want three things over there and I want these four over here, so we'll compromise in the middle. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. So you see, we can, as the Apostle writes in the New Testament, examine ourselves, which we're supposed to do. That's part of what this is. Encouragement to do that. But a crisis reveals where my trust is. Does it not? It does. Think about it. There's a crisis. It was in the story. The bridegroom's here and you're sleeping. Oops. There wasn't anything wrong with sleeping. They all ten fell asleep. But they all ten got up. The crisis of the moment was, now it's time. It's time. The bridegroom is here. And it revealed either the preparedness or the problem. And we're going to have that same crisis. Either when one is taken and the other is left, or when we take that last breath. Because I'm, I guess I can't be 112% sure that I'm correct, but if I understand the scriptures correctly, if we are saved, then I'm, I'm not going to be present here to count off those 1,260 days.
It's going to be one of the other things. The crisis is going to be one of those. So, did we fix our eyes on Christ? The author and the finisher of our faith. Did we do that? That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do. Fix your eyes on Him. And you see, in, in large measure, you know, we have a population all around us that there's, there's so much error going on around us it's not even funny and I don't have time to talk about that nor is this the place. But just let me say, Whatever we think about the last two years that we've lived through, there is a sense in which COVID is a blessing. Now, why would I stand in front of you and say something that you think is that dumb? (laughs) Here's why. It's the crisis that reveals who or what we trust. It either is or it isn't. Think about it. Has it revealed, across our society, across the church at large, has it revealed who or what we trust? And I think in many cases it has. It is that crisis that reveals. And we need to be understanding that I've got to have that presence, that working, that power of the Holy Spirit within me to be ready. Because when we fix our eyes on the Lord... We become like Him as we've already said because He is the one that endured the cross. He is the one that paid the price. And I do not know the day or the hour that He will come. I simply know that it's my job to be ready. I do know that the bridegroom will come. That is inescapable. There will be a meeting. That's not in question. The only thing in question is my preparedness for it. He's coming. And there will be a banquet. And I want to be there. Revelation chapter 19 says we get to go in and we get to celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb. And that's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. Amen? Amen? So, our task is to make sure that we're ready.